This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Bet and Breakfast, a podcast from BetSided. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Who wants coffee? It's sports betting for everyone. I'm here to tell you today that the New York Yankees season is done. Stick a fork in them, it's over. Lamar Jackson, I can't believe he's that low on the list that he's my bet for sure at this point in the season. Early leans, best bets, props, parlays. If you can bet it, we've got it. I'm taking the over on this. If you look at the last five games, this is a game waiting for points to be scored. Tom Brady, I think everyone's heard of him. If Brady puts up the numbers, they have the 10th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Get in, get out, and you're ready to go. I think they're going to have to give him the award if Dallas ends up locking up this division and possibly even that number one seed. And here are your hosts, Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, and Reed Wallet. What comes before anything? What have we always said is the most important thing? Breakfast. What's happening, people? Bet and breakfast on a Super Bowl post Monday. Deep sigh. Gentlemen, <laughs> it's over. Football season as we know it is over. Maybe until you know the, the reboot of like the USFL or whatever that's gonna be, and then you'll have free agency in the NFL draft. So it's never really over. But there was a sense of finality, I suppose, with the Super Bowl last night. Salute to everybody that was following all of the stuff that we were doing over at Betside. We had a great two weeks leading up to the game. I should mention Ben Heisler with the Monday crew of Reed Wallach and Peter Dewey. Uh, Peter, I know that that we were on together working the Super Bowl, so I, I will kick things off with you. Uh, you were on Cincinnati all week, and, and not just at plus four, but on the money line. Uh, I, I don't say that as a way to, to rub this in your face because this was a close game that they were in control of for a long time. But that that final drive, which is an absolute killer. Yeah, th- there was a bunch of things that went wrong for the Bengals in that game. And I think that the first thing it started with off the turnover in the second half, the, the sta- second Stafford pick, you had to get a touchdown there. I know it was, like you went up seven. But they had all the momentum. You get the long touchdown to T. Higgins. You get the interception. They had to score a touchdown there. And when they didn't, I was a little bit nervous because I was like, if you made this a two-score game, the way their defense had played, really the second half of the game, those first couple drives were tough. But after that, they they really locked everything down until the final um, Rams drive. I thought two scores might been might have been enough to to kind of keep them up and 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 finish off that game. But there was that. There was the Tyler Boyd drop on third and nine that w- would have been a probably gets them the first down late in the game, which would have been big. And then obviously just Aaron Donald wreaking havoc in the second half just was tough. I mean, I read and I t- I've talked about this right before we got on the show. The the Logan Wilson hold on third and goal. Yeah. Uh, of Cooper Cup. I just, they like, I guess you look at, you break it down like frame by frame. Sure, he held him. They didn't call anything all game. And then the biggest play of the game, they call hold when he was in great position, knocked the ball down. Like if he doesn't hold it, if he doesn't touch him there, like he's still in position to knock that pass down. Like it just seemed like a ticky tack flag to kind of keep the game going for the Rams. And then obviously then the next three plays, you get a flag on top of it. So uh was a tough, tough loss last night, but uh, Still, still felt like I was on the right side the, basically the entire game. So, yeah, no, I, Bengals. I mean, at least from a spread perspective, Bengals plus four was money pretty much the whole game. Especially um, Odell Beckham's injury, I think, really changed the entire calculus because 
early in the game, it did look like the Rams offense was going to kind of blow right through the Bengals defense. Um, Cup ran for an easy touchdown, just wide open in the back of the end zone. Odell was running wild. Then his, he, you know, probably a serious knee injury to keep him off the field. But right after he got hurt, the Rams offense went into a complete shell of itself. Really, I, Sean McVay, I just I said this all week leading up to it. I didn't really – I didn't have high hopes for him, and I didn't think he coached a great game. I – Honestly, I I didn't think it was the most well-played Super Bowl. I think it lacked a lot of juice, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe it was the Odell injury that threw it off, but it, I don't know. It just didn't really – the last drive felt more like Cooper Cup putting the team on his back more than any – like, I didn't just feel like – it just lacked a Super Bowl feel. I don't know. Maybe it was the Odell injury. Maybe it was just the defense is kind of bogging down at the end of the game, but I don't know. It just – it didn't really feel super – Mm, to me i don't know am i alone on that yeah i don't know whether it was just the the game ended and i didn't feel any sort of you know thing i I just like maybe it was just the terrible play call that ended the game with a samaji p ride handoff into aaron donald's like maybe that's what made it terrible but like the the entire game i was almost compelled by some of the weird decision making going on like some of the, some of the play calls, some of the, I don't know, it, something was off with the game the entire time, and also the crowd didn't sound that loud. Maybe these are like tertiary things that were kind of factoring into my viewing experience. I was wildly entertained, but I just didn't leave that game going, "Wow, that was like a classic." I, I don't think it was a classic, but I I Colin, felt that it was. Collins fairly- called that Stafford drive like an all-time Super Bowl drive. I was like, really? Was it uh, like they? Uh. There was the cup yeah, like four penalties to around. Keep there was that really cool. That was a, their amazing no look pass, and then they got bailed out of goal to go. So like that was kind of it. It wasn't like a march of the ages where like Matt Stafford conquers. His, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, it's not, it wasn't like Kansas City a couple of years ago. Yeah, back from twenty ones, and that 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 felt bigger to me. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was a compelling game, and. I, I think it was because here, here's what I think it comes down to, Reed, and you can tell me if you disagree. I, I think our own narrative going into the game kind of helps change how we look at it, right? So you you envisioned you had the Bengals covering, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was your that was your play throughout the week, um, and so it, you never really felt like that was out of position. For me, as somebody who thought the Rams were going to steamroll them in the first half. And then maybe Cincinnati and this, my, my perception on this game changed throughout the course of two weeks. Like I, I was on my buddy, Danny Parkin show in Chicago. And I said like, you know, betting the Super Bowl is kind of like hall of fame voting in major league baseball. Like over the course of multiple weeks, you you know, maybe right. you get more information and all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's this red hot take that you have at the very beginning completely changes, but there hasn't been any games to determine it. It's like voting for the hall of fame. You know, if a guy doesn't get in on his first year, he only gets 35% of the vote. And all of a sudden in year eight, he gets in. He didn't play any more games. He didn't change his resume. It was Mm. just a different way of how we view it. We get more information. We get more insight, more analysis. It changes our mind. And also just time makes us a prisoner of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I had this vision that it was going to be a blowout first half that the Bengals would chip away because the Rams would take their foot off the gas pedal. And it, that was never really the case. And the times that Cincinnati sort of did take advantage, that that kind of woke me up for me. Um, yeah. So I, I thought it was a compelling game. Was it an all-time drive at the end? No, I don't think so.
Yeah. No, you go, Peter. I I was going to say, Reed, just to piggyback on one of the points you made, like I think one of the craziest parts about this game is like we talk about like Sean McVay being this this offensive genius and stuff and, you know, Zach Taylor coming from his coaching tree and everything and just some of the play calls in that game, like just the decision-making, like like, part of me thought – part of the reason why I took Bengals money line is like, I felt people were giving Sean McVay this huge advantage coaching advantage. And I just didn't think he had it. Like I was like, I, he's probably the better coach, but I was just like, I just don't think he's so much better than Zach Taylor. Like he's going to win them the game. And I don't think he came close to winning them the game. Cause like you said, their offense was terrible. Once Odell, he, he should retire that rumor. He should just retire. Cause like, I like enough, enough with, this like you know they in my opinion Zach Taylor did out coach him. I thought Zach Taylor actually called a really good game up until the end of the game. Those two I, fourth I down attempts I thought were actually really good. You know, I, I well I liked his I liked both. Obviously he had to go for it at the end of the game. I liked when he went for it on the first 100%. drive on fourth down. I hated the play calls though. They were terrible. You had second and one and you ran it up the middle twice into Aaron Donald and all drops. Like, I just don't he like he it felt to me like he. Knew it like, and then the last play of the game, the the last third down where they ran it with P Ryan. Like, if yeah. you're, I don't have a problem if you're going to run the ball there because you had the time to do it. But why the hell isn't Joe Mixon on the field then? Because Joe Mixon was fantastic last night. Like that got lost in the shuffle. Like mm-hmm. Joe Mixon looked really good. I think we all thought he wasn't going to have any kind of a game against that Rams front, and he yeah. was making cutbacks. Like, he he was fantastic last night. It's like if you're going to run the ball there, like. Maybe you think it gives it away if Mixon's on the field. I don't care. I'd rather have Joe Mixon on the field than Samaje Piran with the Super Bowl on the line. Like there, there were just a couple of things in that game where I felt like McVay didn't make like a major mistake to kind of cost them. I thought Taylor just to give them the ball at midfield on the first drive because of the play calls. Didn't wasn't mad about them going for it. It was just you went with such safe play calls. I didn't I didn't think they they really put themselves in the best position to win that way. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I, maybe I need to give McVay a little bit of slack because the Odell injury clearly, and I think I said this on, it was either the best bet show or last week's show um, in this time slot. The Rams just force feed Odell and cup the entire postseason. It wasn't like Jefferson yeah. was involved. Higby did a little bit, Bland and uh, whatever, but this was the Odell and Cooper cup show. So when Odell went down, it became very difficult for the Rams offense to operate whatsoever. Maybe that's why they kept trying to establish or to try and open up some more time for Stafford because the Bengals defense really, I thought showed up in that game. Odell, I guess, again, the Odell injury kind of factored into it, but when Odell went out, they figured out the Rams offense. They had what one, maybe 10 points after Odell went down, right? Yeah. Nine, nine points. Yeah. So incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive from the Bengals' defense, but then the last drive they found their guy Cooper Cup, who I thought was just sensational. You know, the entire time I don't even know what he finished with. I know Ben, you said he went under his receiving prop, but he did. Yeah, I, I thought- I mean, his receiving yards prop was so absurd to begin with that it didn't even matter. Like he was a one-man show. I thought it was a clear Cooper Cup MVP. Okay, all right. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I thought you could have made a fairly compelling argument for, for Aaron Donald in that conversation as well. And, and I also think we have to talk about this rumor that's floating around right now about Aaron Donald as well. I think it was Rodney Harrison that first broke the news on NBC mm-hmm. that should the Rams win the Super Bowl, uh, that Aaron Donald, I think with the age of 32, uh, 30, he's 30. 
he's only 30. That yeah. is absolutely remarkable that like we're talking about Aaron Donald as, as perhaps one of the greatest, if not the greatest defensive tackle in, in NFL history at age 30, considering retirement. So I guess two-part question. And, and, and Reed, it sounds like I, I know where you're going, so I'll lead with you here. Um, Cooper Cup, clear-cut MVP, ended up cashing at 6-1, to one, or, or did you think that there was a case for Donald as well? I, I think there was a case for Donald, but – Cup was the rightful MVP, in my opinion. I think that that last drive, I mean, one Stafford definitely didn't deserve it, obviously. Uh, two picks didn't really do much at the game. But listen, it, Cup, he caught, what did he do on the final drive? He had that fourth down run. Uh, he had the touchdown catch. He had another catch where he got rocked, which I know that doesn't count on the score, but he was the He's only guy doing anything on that last drive. So most valuable player, right? Like I know Donald did we have to do, but that was a Rams effort. That was a Rams defensive front that got through in the second half. So I don't know. But before you weigh in, Peter, if cup doesn't catch the game winning touchdown, like if they run it in with acres or if Stafford sneaks it in, like he tried to do, I think on the previous play, does he win it? Even yes, though he was, he was still in control that entire drive, but I feel like cup still wins it. I feel like he still wins I think it. Cups, Cause they, they scored to win, you know, mm-hmm. like, but, but if they, he doesn't the score, touchdown, or the, the drive put them ahead. Like, I know Donald got the stop on the other end, but, like, voters I, – I think I've learned as, like, I start betting these awards more. Like, the voters aren't – like, this isn't, like, a direct, direct shot at anyone, but, like, they aren't necessarily, like, the sharpest or the most, like, analytically sound or anything. Like, they are what is happening on the field and what everyone's talking about. Sure. And everyone would be talking about Cooper Cup, the fourth down run – the really the 25 yard catch, the other catch, you know? So I just, I don't really think there was a world. I saw um, a book put odds up after the game. Donald was 10 to one cup was like minus minus one seventy. Interesting. Okay. Obviously he caught the touchdown. So that's a different scenario, but. Yeah. I, I, I thought cup after he caught the touchdown, I think that we talked about this last night. As soon as he caught the touchdown, it's kind of like, I, he's going to win it no matter what. Yeah. Like I wonder that was, that was very heavy in the uh in the bet sided group slack the, the yeah. conversation because we were getting ready for our, our Cooper Cup MVP story without necessarily knowing. Yeah. And so I wonder if Donald sacks Burrow on that last play because it would have given him three, I believe, if that mm-hmm. changes the narrative a little bit. Obviously, I mean, he got home, but obviously Burrow was able to get rid of it at least. Um, so that that I guess could say, I mean, it's just really tough because like Aaron Donald was fantastic the entire second half. But, like, he doesn't get the opportunity to make that play if Cooper Cup doesn't score the touchdown. Like, I guess if you just go down narrative street, like, Aaron Donald's last stand doesn't happen unless Cooper Cup scores. So, I, I get why why it went to Cup for MVP. Um, I, I would have been interested on the Bengals' side who they would have given it to if the Bengals had pulled it out, like, 20 to 16. I, I wonder if it would have been T. Higgins or if they would have done the narrative and given it to Burrow. It would have been interesting. But Yeah, I, if, if Burrow leads that, that final game-winning drive – and doesn't connect with Higgins, then then I think he gets it. But um, for for somebody that was holding an Aaron Donald ticket, I, I didn't jump on him at sixteen to one, but I got him at thirteen to one, and then T Higgins at fifty to one, especially early on. I, I'll admit this to you guys, um, and I, I probably mushed myself. So you know, little inside radio here. So you know, we're we're putting together a, a shell of of sort of this MVP story, so that by the time we have the announcement out. We can have it ready to go. It's submitted. And then anybody who's looking to try and find out who won MVP can find it over at, at, at fansided.com slash bedsided. Uh, I loaded in a picture of T Higgins. Oof. Like 
I, I, Early. Early. I, I, I had that in, I thought that was going to be the guy, I, but I was just in, in the early process. And then of course I swapped it out for, for Cooper cup, but I feel like the moment that I did that, I just completely mushed the Super Bowl for, for T Higgins, MVP voters, including myself. So if there's anybody out there that, that needs somebody to blame, uh, go ahead and blame your guy. I, I can take the heat. Uh, ben, if you think if the Bengals stop the Rams on that last drive, T Higgins wins MVP. I don't know if he, no, no, no. I, I, I set up this image like midway through the third quarter. I'm just curious. Do you, cause it would have been him or Burrow. Burrow's stats weren't, uh, the sexiest, but I don't know. I just feel like Higgins' touchdown happened so much earlier in the game that it almost like loses its value as the game went on. Potentially, even though it was the go-ahead touchdown. Potentially, but I, I mean, think about it from the perspective: like his two touchdowns yes. were the, the game changers for Cincinnati, especially that play where he broke away from Ramsey. And yeah, you can make yeah. an argument that he grabbed Ramsey's fa- face mask could, along yeah. the way, but I don't think that changes from the vote like if he's the guy that scores the two touchdowns that changed the game for cincinnati that were the clear momentum jumps then i I think he does get it i think he gets serious consideration absolutely but it was a fascinating uh, back and forth debate for a while um one thing that i I do want to talk to you guys about before we dive into our our best bets and and I, i think you know there's plenty more super bowl coverage that we'll have over at bedsided today but we do have futures out for for next year and I want to just go over them fairly quickly with you. Just, I just really quickly, if, if there's anyone that that sort of seems a little bit fishy or jumps out in particular, uh, I, I want to know that team. So co-favorites right now to win the Super Bowl next year are the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. They both open at plus 700. Then there's the Bengals, Rams, and 49ers at 12 to 1. The Denver Broncos... The last place team, Peter's Broncos in the AFC West are 15 to 1. That's followed by the Cowboys and Titans at 18 to 1. The Ravens and the Packers, Colts, Chargers at 20 to 1. Vikings are 25 to 1. And then you have Arizona, Cleveland, New England at 30 to 1. I'm going to give you a couple other outside dark horse teams that I think are, are going to be talked about a little bit. Um, you have Tampa Bay at 35 to 1. Miami and Philadelphia at 40 to 1. The Bears and the Saints and the Seahawks and Washington at 50 to 1. Followed by the Raiders at 60 to 1. Falcons and Panthers at 75 to 1. And then the Steelers, 75 to 1. By the way, for anybody interested in in where the New York Jets fall, they are all the way at the bottom of the list uh, at 200 to 1. All right. I I give you that. And there's still a few others that I I, I didn't name as well. But I'm not asking you to go ahead and and bet a future right now, but were any of those teams and their odds a bit surprising to you Um, or any of them sort of catch you off guard a little bit, Peter, I can, I can start with you on this one. Yeah. I do not touch the Broncos at plus at 15 to one. dude. Um, Are you kidding me, man? Fit plus 15. Are you kidding me? Like this is the same thing we saw last year when the Rogers rumors started around the draft and, and, um, he got the Broncos got bumped up to the same odds as the Packers. I remember at Wimbet it was like plus eighteen hundred, and it was just like why? Like what? They don't have him yet. And so, personally for me, there's no way I'm jumping on a Broncos future after watching the last four years of this team without a quarterback. If they don't have Aaron Rodgers on the roster, there's no way you can justify that price. So to take them and assume that he's going to go there when. Denver doesn't have like this crazy leverage like they really don't like the Packers can technically kind of trade him wherever they want he may retire if that happens like there's so many factors that are that are involved where like this isn't clear cut if Aaron Rodgers leaves he's going to the Broncos like 
He could even go a bunch of other places. We just, we genuinely don't know. And with Aaron Rodgers, we have no idea what's going through that guy's head. Like, so to, to put money on that and be like, yep, the Broncos are there. Cause if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, what is it another year of Teddy Bridgewater? Is it Drew Locke? Is it whoever they take at number nine? Like they're like, maybe they get Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, but like, there's just, there's so many factors here. There's no way I'm touching it at that number. It's, it's way too high. What about for you, Reed? Yeah, I, the Broncos discussion like brings me to like one of my favorite like takes in the in the oven right now in the in the Wallach brain right now is that the NFL is slowly becoming the NBA in terms of roster turnover, and you see these young quarterbacks. Or let me go back. There are two ways, in my opinion, to build a Super Bowl contender, and I mentioned it. It was kind of seen in this Super Bowl where you have a rookie quarterback where you could build around him and the Bengals are even early on that. And then you also have the super team method with the Rams where you have your Jalen Ramsey, your Aaron Donald, your Matt Stafford, and then a little bit shallow elsewhere, you know, more of a veteran path, yeah. not as you trade all your draft picks to, to get those types of guys. Yes. You're, you're completely mortgaging the future for your one shot now. Yes. And so the teams outside of the rookie quarterback camp, I'm talking your, Los Angeles Chargers, your you know teams that have rookie quarterbacks that they can build around. You now need to mortgage your future to get better. So I'm looking at someone like the Tennessee Titans. I could see them being very aggressive trading for a quarterback this year, like a Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers. So I don't see value yet. I need to see where a lot of the offseason moves are because I see a lot of teams that have these like bright futures and have a Cincinnati Bengals run in them. But then there's also going to be certain teams that have a really good defense and a lot of veterans, and they're going to say, we're going all in. We got, we're going to shorten our window, and we're going to go for a Super Bowl right now. Like, Can the Saints trade for a quarterback and make a run next year? Sure, the NFC South might be terrible. Like, The Saints have had an amazing defense. They just have a quarterback. What if they put in all their eggs in the Russell Wilson basket? That's fair. I- so that's my, my hot take is the NFL is changing faster and windows are closing faster than anything. So I, I wrote about this last night over at BetSided. I, I identified three teams that I felt like right now, judging by how I expect their offseason to go, offer value at their current prices. So I'm curious to, to get your guys' thoughts on it. I, I thought Dallas at 18-1 to was fairly compelling. You get your entire coaching staff back. Uh, Kellen Moore on the offensive side of the ball, Dan Quinn on defense. Um you know, granted, Mike McCarthy is also coming back. But <laughs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> but he, he has enough smart people around him to, to perhaps bring him up a little bit. Um, but I, I think they're in a really good spot. It's a very winnable division. No Aaron Rodgers likely in the NFC, uh, obviously with the, the talk about Denver at 15 to 1. Um, the, the Rams are going to lose their, their left tackle. They're going to have some salary or not salary cap issues, but they're they're going to have some issues with with roster turnover. If Aaron Donald retires, that changes things as well. Um, and then the 49ers are going to a uh, second year quarterback who I think the world of in Trey Lance and he could be awesome in Kyle Shanahan's system. But you're still talking about a rookie quarterback who barely played in his first year, moving on to a second year without a lot of experience. And then you have Dallas. So I, I think they're sitting in a really good spot with basically the same type of continuity that they had from a season ago. Uh, candidate for defensive player in the year, Micah Parsons. They, I think they could be the most talented team in the NFC next year. And that's 18 to one. So that's team number one. The Patriots are another team that I wrote about at 30 to one that I find to be fairly compelling. 
they're not going to be favorites in their own division because you still have Buffalo and Josh Allen. But I mean, was it six, seven weeks ago we were talking about the Patriots as, as one of the top teams in the AFC? I don't think that's going to change. You need a little bit more help from Mac Jones, but that jump for quarterbacks from year one to year two, that's been that big leap compared to year two to year three. Uh, we saw it with Burrow. We saw it with Justin Herbert. From a talent level, I don't know if Jones is, is on that same plane, but we know he's a quality quarterback, and we know that understanding of the offensive and the scheme that he's in in New England is going to take a sizable jump. So I like them in 30-1 to 1 from a, a value perspective. And then my, sort of that, that dark horse shot in the dark team to me is Pittsburgh because I, I think they're going to get a veteran quarterback. And if there's anything that we've seen over the last two years, by bringing in a veteran quarterback with the right roster, you have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Have them in Tampa Bay. And it happened again with Los Angeles. Now, this happened via trade as opposed to free agency. And maybe that's a possibility for the Steelers as well. But if you get a veteran quarterback and you fix your offensive line, which ranked, I think, 26 out of 32 teams over a pro football focus at the end of the season, there's plenty of talent on both sides of the ball and a very good defense. Uh, and we know how Tomlin has done uh, exceeding expectations. He did it this year with Ben Roethlisberger at the quarterback position. So 75 to 1, if they get the right quarterback, that number is going to drop. Uh, any of those three teams stand out for you guys? Yeah, so you you make good points for all of them. The reason why, I, if I were to pick of your three, I like the Dallas one the most is because look at the AFC compared to the NFC when it comes to young quarterbacks. Yeah. In the AFC, you have Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen. That's just to name five that are certainly better than Mac Jones. Yes. The rest, whatever, if you want to put it up for debate. But – it's why, like, one more thing going back to the Super Bowl is I hate the they'll be back narrative. It's like the worst narrative of all time. It, I want to throw that narrative into the ocean. It's so bad. Because the odds are actually they probably won't be back. And, like, a lot of things broke their way, and making a Super Bowl is really, really difficult. Look at all the things that had to go their way for the Bengals. So They can miss the playoffs next year. They absolutely could. They absolutely could. And would it shock you? No. They're, first of all, they're in Lamar Jackson's division. The Ravens were so banged up last year. Maybe the Browns bring in a better quarterback. Or like you said, the Steelers bring in a better quarterback. But the reason why – that was a quick sidebar. But the reason why I like the Dallas bet more than the other two is because look at the NFC. There's a lot of uncertainty, like you mentioned, with the Rams, the 49ers. The NFC East is still going through a rebuild most of the, um, across the other three teams for the most part. Dallas kind of stands out because I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the NFC where the AFC, the Patriots and Steelers would need to make a Bengals-esque run, in my, if you know what I'm trying to say. like They need to definitely overcome some obstacles to actually make the Super Bowl. I need to stand out for you, Peter. No, I, I agree with what Reed said, but I do like the Steelers pick, I think, purely from – I mean, it depends on who they get a quarterback. But like one of the names that came to my mind is, like, if they get Jimmy Garoppolo, like, why not? Like, Ben Roethlisberger was very arguably one of, like, the three to five worst quarterbacks in yes. the NFL last year. So, like, they just need somebody competent back there. It's going to make Najee Harris better. Like, they have the weapons on the outside, and that defense is fantastic. I mean, Mike Tomlin – is like I, I've been, I love Mike Tom. I think he's one of the three best coaches in the NFL. Like I mean, he he is going to get them to play winning football no matter who's at quarterback, which is crazy. So if they get it's been somebody every season who, since two thousand seven that they've either been five hundred yeah. or had a winning record. Yeah. So I mean, you know that there's there's a floor for the Steelers because of Mike Tomlin, and so depending upon who you get at quarterback, like you can really raise that ceiling. So yeah, seventy five to one. 
that that sounds fantastic depending upon what they do this offseason yeah they're, they're going to get a quarterback I, I think jimmy g is intriguing if they get him then they need to fix the offensive line because they'll yeah. hold on to the ball for a tad bit too long and i was an advocate that the 49ers should consider going to trey lance sooner rather than later but there is an aspect to competence at the position where he has talent around him uh, if they fix that offensive line, then yeah, I actually think he's a nice fit and they wouldn't need to invest a lot of capital to go out and get him. I, I think you can get Jimmy Garoppolo with a mid-round pick and yeah. be successful in the process. So Especially because the- he's on the last year of his deal. Like they can't exactly. ask for too much. Like No doubt about it. All right, and let's they want to get rid of him at this point. Like they just want to get off him. Exactly. So like it, it's a scenario that I think works really well for, for both fronts. 49ers are able to get rid of the quarterback that they'd like to move on from. Steelers can get a, a serviceable option that can help bring up everybody compared to where they were a year ago. Let's dive into best bets because there's a lot going on on the slate tonight. Solid college basketball slate. Uh, you have NBA as well. That's where Peter and I are looking. So Reed, I'll, I'll kick things off with you. Uh, you got your eye on the big Monday matchup between Oklahoma State uh, I think they're in Kansas uh, yes. today as well, right? Yes, it's in in Lawrence, right uh, in your backyard, Ben. So I'm going over 143. Really simple handicap here. Total last month closed 144 and a half, and Kansas actually didn't score a point for the last eight minutes of the first half. They led 29-21. It went into half 29-29, and the game still landed on 137. So that just you know. So I still think that this game is. Being a little bit downgraded. Also, both teams are in the top 100 in tempo. Don't love Kansas's defense. I think that they're susceptible. Both teams crash the offensive glass. I just see a lot of points in here. Both teams are physical. Maybe we got a few extra foul shots here and there. But simply put, Kansas high-powered offense. I think their defense overrated. I like the over. I could see this being something like 80 to 65, something like that. Kansas gets a late cover. Yeah. Um, what's the, the the number of the season? Is it it's 11 and a half? Some at 11, 11 and a half, somewhere in that range. So I could see Kansas getting a late cover. All right. KU, Oklahoma State over 143 over in Lawrence tonight. Uh, Peter, you and I are looking at the same game. We're just looking at different bets. So so tell me about what you see in the late game between the Warriors and the Clippers. Yeah, I'm going to take the Warriors minus five and a half here. I think we're actually getting a buy low spot on the Warriors because they have not played well lately. They got blown out by the Jazz, but that was a game. No Clay Thompson, no Otto Porter. Um they, they basically mailed in the front end of a back-to-back, and then they lost to the Knicks on the second uh, leg of that back-to-back, and then they barely beat the Lakers in their last game. So I think we're, we're getting a spot where maybe uh, people are a little down on the Warriors here, but they're going up against a Clippers team that just made a huge trade, and they lost Norman Powell to a fractured bone in his foot. So this Clippers team is already down Paul George, already down Kawhi Leonard. They're very shaky offensively. Norman Powell is one of the guys who's going to kind of help fix that they're 26th in the league in offensive rating. I, I just don't think they're going to score enough points against the number one defense in the NBA. Um, I think the Warriors, they haven't been great as a road favorite, but they're 500 against the spread. So um, I honestly put this at more like Warriors minus seven. So I, I kind of like five and a half here. And, and I think with the way Clay Thompson has been playing lately, that we might start seeing the Warriors start pick up steam, um, especially in the betting market, just with him and Steph both playing well. So give me five and a half tonight. Yeah, and actually the line just moved as I'm double-checking it right now over at Wimbet. It's gone from five and a half over to Warriors minus six on the road. Uh, I'm focusing on the total in this game. Right now sitting at 222 and a half. Uh, That was the number that I I saw it at last night. It's it's still the same uh, at the moment over at Wimbet. For as dominant as the the Warriors' defense has been, they're still top team, the the top team in the NBA in defensive rating at 104.1. 
Um, and, and that's with Boston making a serious charge. Uh, they've been a, a, a lethal defense really early over the last several weeks of the NBA season, but the Warriors are still there despite them not playing well. Like you mentioned, Peter, they gave up 115 against the Lakers. They gave up 114 against the Knicks offense, which you don't see anymore than 111 to Utah on the road. Um, they're, they're going to shore things up because it's a matchup, I think against LA that makes a lot of sense for them. And for the Clippers, I think I talked about it last week. That was a team that I took the over on because they couldn't stop anybody. Gave up 137 to Milwaukee, 135 to Memphis, and then 112 to a Dallas offense that is, has one of the slowest paces in the league, but they switched it around in the back-to-back and only gave up 97. It was a much more inspired effort by the Clippers, and I think you're going to see that tonight. It's just going to be a slower-paced game, and even though the Warriors can be really efficient and probably take care of business against the Clippers team, 222 feels like a, a lot to have to get to in this game for both defenses that rank top 10 in defensive rating in the NBA. So I, I think you see a more inspired performance by the Warriors tonight to get back on the right track defensively. I'd like them to win in the game as well. So I'm with you on that play, Peter. But I, I just think it's a good opportunity for both teams to showcase where they are from a defensive level. So I think the 222 and a half is a bit too high for tonight. And there you have it, guys. That is bet and breakfast for post-Super Bowl. Monday for my guys, Reed and Peter. I am Ben. Make sure you guys check out all the work that we're doing over at BetSider. We'll have a very busy schedule on the docket today. Plenty of Super Bowl recap looking ahead towards next year and many more stories in between. Until then, we'll talk to you guys next Thursday on the podcast. So we'll talk to you then soon. Be good. Thank you.